Oh, welcome back to another interview spectacular at Too Many Comics. Uh, we are super excited for this one. She says she's not famous, but to us, she very much is. Uh, Kelly Thompson, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I just wanted to shoot a little into your background before we talk some some current event stuff. Um, so graduate of, of SCAD, which I'm familiar with because I lived um, outside of Hilton Head for a couple of years. Oh, um, yeah. Ventured into Savannah, and I actually have a, a childhood friend of mine is their head coach of cross country right now. I actually just looked oh. up his website to verify that. Yeah, in his sixth year as at SCAD's cross country coach, which I didn't even know they had a team. So I know they had sports. <laughs> they do. They did. Um, my boyfriend now, who also went there, we were just friends when we were there. He did not play any sports, but he was so into the sports scene. So, like, you know, I was like, why are we doing – why is anyone doing sports here? It's art kids. Like, yeah. should finally be free of that? And he was like, no, it's the greatest. Like, volleyball, basketball. One of my friends in the Squanchal Art Program, on Nagby, he played basketball very well for SCAD. So, yeah, sports follow you everywhere, man. You can't escape them. Where, <laughs> where, where are you originally from that, that, you, that you ventured into SCAD? Or was it just because it's, it's, it's such, a, such the well-known art school? Yeah, it was because of comics. Um, I, because I'm from originally California. At the time that I went to college, I was living in Utah. And I had to get out of there. So I inexplicably went to the University of Arizona. It's sort of a long, boring story that doesn't have a point because nobody, including me, really knows why that happened. <laughs> uh, like, it would have made sense for me to go to Cal schools. So that's where my dad went. And I loved California. Um, but it just didn't happen. And I ended it at U of A. And it was a fine experience. There was nothing wrong with it. Um I don't like the desert, which, you know, you learn after you live there. So mm. I would never live deliberately in the desert again. Um, but it, it was a fine school. Uh, so how I ended up at SCAD, though, was because I was in my second year and I was in this graphic design class and I was taking a night class in comics at the local comic book store, which I don't believe is there anymore, but it was called Captain Spiffy's. <laughs> I, Good name. It was a great shop, and that guy like was really into indie comics, and and he was pretty good at comics in that indie way of the of the nineties, right, or early aughts, you know, nineties. And so he uh, he like ran his own zine that he would do once or twice a year, and and he did a night class, and I think there were enough people around, like both college students and just locals, who were interested in that kind of thing, that he ran this course. And so I took that. So the at the same time that I was doing that and I was doing drawing and writing pages for a zine, drawing very badly, um, I was also taking this graphic design class. And we had this assignment to do um, like bottle packaging. And for extra credit, you could do like the like the, the packaging that the bottle came in, like the six pack carrier or whatever it was going to be. And I really liked the assignment and I was like, oh, I'm going to do the extra credit. Like I'm, I'm really into this. I'm going to do it. It's going to be fun. And so I was very proud of myself. So I come into class. Every single fucking person did the extra credit. Am I allowed to cut? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yes, please. Uh, yeah. Yes, more. Every <laughs> single fucking person did the extra credit. And I looked around and I thought, I don't belong here because these people love graphic design so much. But while they're thinking about graphic design, I'm thinking about comic books. And I, that was it. I, I made the decision to transfer to SCAD as soon as I could. And so I took a year off to earn some money. And then I, I went there. Um, so after, so I guess what would have been my junior year for, for SCAD. And I went there just because of comics. Like it was the only, back then, it was the only school that was a accredited college that really had a sequential art degree. Like some would have sequential art classes. And of course, the Joe Kubert School was out there, um, which is great. I just, mm -hmm. want, I just wanted a degree. I didn't want to go to, you know, a specific like sort of trade art school. Um, and so that was it. I transferred as soon as I could. And it was a great thing. It was It was one of those defining moments where, you know, you're really struggling with the decision and you're you're making these pro and cons lists, but it's really impossible to be able to know or see what's going to happen. And like every once in a while when you're in those situations, you get like this startling moment of clarity, right? When you're mm. like, OK, and I was it was a really good decision for me. Well, so it must have it must have been culturally shocking to go from California, Arizona and then Savannah, Georgia. I mean, Savannah's 
beautiful. I, I, it's not really for me, but a lot of that has nothing to do with the culture and it has to do with the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had lived in the West, uh, you know, my whole life really. And so that was a, that was a really big move to the East coast. Um, I, the South is not, it's not really for me. I mean, <laughs> um, I like that you get a lot more diverse cross-section of people than you get a lot of places I've lived in the West, especially like I'm in Oregon now and it's so painfully white and it's just very (laughs) frustrating. Um, But, uh, you know, the sort of conservatism and some of the religion and some of those other things, that's really not working for me, obviously. So Mm. it's it's not a good fit. But Savannah's very beautiful and I had a great couple years there. I sort of wish I'd been there just a little bit longer. You know, you've got that thing where if you leave too soon, then you're always sort of nostalgic for it. You know, yeah. my mm-hmm. friends stayed too long. And so he's like, I don't ever need to go back there. I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I undershot it and you overshot it. <laughs> it didn't work out. <laughs> you, they, can drink the, you can drink in the streets. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's fun. Yes, that was, I mean, certainly that was a good time. <laughs> As a college student, especially. Have they, um, do you keep in touch with the school at all? Is there, you know, do they ever bring, you know, people, people back in to maybe speak at a class or anything like that? It's funny you ask that because I hadn't really been in touch with them at all. And I just this last year got an email from one of my old professors because they do a, I think it's called, God, it's been a million years now. I think it's called Comics Arts Forum, where they do this week where they bring in sequential art professionals people who work in the industry from sort of all walks of life and they do a week of sort of like lectures and talks and like guest classes and things like that and he asked me to be involved in that and I was really upset I couldn't do it because I mean that's just felt like the hugest honor although I have no idea what I would talk about by the way (laughs) (laughs) well first of all yeah, well, by the way, it's like this is a SCAD commercial, just so you know. <laughs> apparently, apparently. And so we're going to pivot to comics now. <laughs> so talking Marvel, I mean, this is a big-time operation. How do you come in pitching ideas, stories? How do you get to work with characters that you want to work with? What is that? What's that like? Well, I think, you know, before your exclusive, which exclusive is sort of the – um, as I understand it, it's sort of the minimum requirement to get to go to the summits and things that they do where they sort of are planning things out. And I think that there's really two different worlds because tons of well, only a handful of artists. I mean, what is it? 50, or it's like between 10 and 20 creatives go to that thing. Right. And Marvel obviously has way more than 10 or 15 writers working for them. So, you know, it's a weird barometer of oh my god now he's not even jumping from the tower he jumped from the couch (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry Uh, to the listeners there's a rogue cat in kelly's house rogue cat who's discovered how to jump to the top of my bookshelves and it's sort of like living in a crazy world all of a sudden it's (laughs) topsy-turvy anyway so there's sort of two worlds i mean there's a world where you're not going those summits where you're talking to editors and you know you're having ideas for characters you love and pitches that you think would be a good idea and that you sort of blindly hope might fit in with things. And if you're lucky enough, you're, you're taught, they like your work and you're talking to some editors who are keeping their eyes open for opportunities or who, when you send in a pitch, even if it's not a fit for what Marvel's doing, are interested in like working with you and like figuring out another thing or figuring out, Oh, that's not going to work now, but that might work in six months or whatever. So there's sort of that layer. And then there's once you're sort of beyond the curtain a little bit or the velvet rope or whatever your analogy you want to use, um, then you're getting a much broader, you know, of like what their plans are for the next year. And then what the, what the vague plan is going to be for the year after that. And like that allows you to look a lot more, clearly at the things they seem to be interested in and also for me a big thing is what's coming so you can know what you're like oh I've got this really great story and yeah they're already doing that like you know so it just allows you a lot better a lot better look at the map um and to me that is really valuable because it's a lot less wasted time right mm-hmm. like you don't have to spin your wheels like you know it I, I think the best way I can describe it is that after I went to a summit, I was like, it's a miracle that my Hawkeye, Hawkeye investigations, which became Hawkeye, mm-hmm. it's a miracle that pitch made it through because 
now knowing what I know now, I feel like I would never go in with just like a big idea and be like, Hey, let's do this book because I'd be like, how dare I like, who knows what they're planning, you know? So there's yeah. also a little thing where it's like, it's great that you're sort of ignorant early on, you know, because it would otherwise scare you too much from pitching and you'd be like, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. You know? And then once you've sort of seen how the sausage is made, I think it helps you to suss out how all that works. I envision like a like a he really romanticized this for me. So I think it's almost <laughs> like a, a like an NFL draft. Like there's all these characters up for grabs, and you know who's going to seed first, the whole thing. I'm sure it's not really like that, but that sounds really cool. It's 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 incredibly cool. It's like anything that's a dream come true. It also has downsides that you're sort of not aware of when you're a kid thinking, wow, I wish I shaped the Marvel universe. And then you're like, Hey, you're in this room and it's really cool. But you know, also there's these hard things about it, you know? So it's like anything, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but it's pretty awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible to get to be a part of that shaping that and, and having a voice at that table. Um, you know, I want that voice to continue to get more diverse. I think that's still something every company out there struggles with media like we really need to push sort of diversity and 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 having those voices at the table because I think when you're at that table you see it more than anything how important it is because that's the time that's the time when someone gets to say well that doesn't really work because that's not a real thing or have you thought about some people are going to see it this way like and so you you really need that that diversity of voice to to help make the best possible things i think that are, that are of interest to the most the most people you know mm. the widest audience well for for starters i would say i think we speak for most readers when we say we're thankful that you pitched the hawkeye book um which we could talk about later as well and then for the for the summit itself is that is that something someone you know reaches out to you and you get invited to based on you know previous work that you had done um, that, that someone took notice for, of, or is that like an application process for Hawkeye? Well, just for getting to go to the summit or, or oh, the summit. invited just, to the table or anything. Yeah. I mean, the summit and being offered an exclusive is just, I think how your relationship with them is going. If they like your books and they like you and they think they want to bring you in to the inner circle to see if that's a fit. And, and if you guys can create some great stuff together, I mean, I think it's on a case by case thing. Um, I think, you know, if you've done enough work or you're doing enough work, there's a point at which you can reach out to them and let them know that you're interested in that, that might start the wheels turning if those conversations already haven't been happening. Um, I do think one of the things for good or ill that tends to spurn those conversations and make them start happening is if, you know, if they see you working for a lot of other people and they want you to be doing more work for them, then that naturally they're like, well, a way we could do that is to, you know, start dating them more exclusively, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll get more of their time. And so I think that's just part of how they they think about those things. I think, um, you know, I'd love to get your take too on, you know, you mentioned getting more diversity within the storytelling, within the characters itself. Um, you know, obviously two of the, two of the bigger books and, and things of, of, current current work or and most recent things you've done that that being the Hawkeye run and what you're currently doing with Jessica Jones um you know that's taken over a character from from Ryan Michael Bendis and you know not a direct follow up to to Fraction's Hawkeye but you know in, in similar vein I, I would say um so to to keep these characters going with a with a female voice uh you know how important was that was that to you then to to bring that diversity to the stage well i mean listen i don't want to i don't want to act like you know, oh, only women can write women or something crazy. They're writers. The whole thing that we do is is trying to figure out how to create new characters and new worlds. And uh, hold on, I have to stop this cat. Clive, no. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him. Get, no, you are not doing that. It's not going to happen. I'm so sorry. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I, I just think, I, I think we, and I'm not speaking specific to Marvel. I'm talking about anything. I think there's a, I think there's a thing when you're in those early stages of trying to make sure you have diverse voices where you're really excited to put 
diverse voices on diverse characters because they can obviously bring like an authenticity that you were maybe missing to those voices and to those worlds. Um, but I also think that that's a sort of a good example of a sort of good example of um, how do you say this? Like a good example that you're still in the early stages of, of doing that work. Right. Because if you had a truly diverse creators pool, it, you wouldn't need to do that because then I'm writing uh, a book about a dude and someone over there is writing a book about a woman. Like there, there's so much more diversity that it's just spread out more naturally and organically. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. sometimes you end up with, Oh yeah, we want this person for this character. Cause we think that's like a very specific voice that they're going to be able to do. Like, it's not that that wouldn't happen anymore, but it's just that, you know, you'd have people getting to try on a lot of different hats, especially because there's a, I, I think there's a, you know, as we talk about expanding diversity in media, you know, you talk about, oh, well, you know, this person must be interested in this because they look this way or their sexual orientation is this way or they're a woman or whatever. But when you, when you peel back the specifics of a person, like maybe that's a terrible thing for them to write. And they're actually much more attuned to this other thing, you know, like um, to bring it back to Marvel comics. It's like, you want to make someone write Kate Bishop because they're a woman. Mm. And then if you scratch the surface of that person, it turns out they're actually way more interested in Iron Man. And like, a t they're like a tech freak, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think you just got to keep pushing that diversity forward. And that's not me, by the way. I would be probably a bad writer for Iron Man. But <laughs> so I'm just trying to make something up that seemed like very different types of characters, right? Um, so I think that, I just think that that's the important part, a part of the equation that sometimes gets missed um, is that you have to keep pushing that so that then you get back to a place where, everything is so diverse that you just people are just picking people are just picking uh they're they're picking books based on things more than the surface i guess is what i'm trying to say it took really really long time to get out <laughs> you went deep on us that's fine <laughs> so on that note um so we both read the most recent uncanny x-men run i'm sorry there actually is one right now the one before the one's happening right now <laughs> where there were three writers working on this, you, Ed Brisson, and Matthew Rosenberg. We were so flummoxed. How does that work, three writers coming together? Do you each do a book a piece? Are you all writing together pages at a time? What? How did that work? Right. Um, well, I think the first thing to know is that it's always different. Like when I co-wrote um, A-Force with G. Willow Wilson, you know, she had to step off the book because of some health stuff and some family stuff going on. And so that was a thing where her name was on all the first four issues, but she wrote the first issue all on her own. I wasn't involved at all. And then she had basically lightly plotted the rest of those last three issues and then just handed it off to me. And I did it myself because she couldn't really be involved. And But then that gets called a co-writing credit because she helped plot that story, right? Mm -hmm. When I did it, my first book at at Marvel was a co-write with Kelly Sue DeConnick. That was Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. And that was like a very different experience. I was like a super baby writer who Marvel was sort of trying out. And Kelly Sue DeConnick is this super powerful writer who was sort of ending her run, closing up her run on, you know, an incredible run on the character. And so that was more a thing where we worked on it together. And then I was doing a lot of the sort of, you know, it was like Kelly Sue gave us, uh, she's like, this is what I wanted to be. You know, here's the theme and then the, sort of the main beats and here's where we need to end up, uh, you know, and it's it was Secret Wars. So she was like, and this is roughly the world. And so then I went off and like plotted it out and came up with beat sheets and stuff like that. And then they they gave me revisions on it and I did the revisions. And then I think it was that I then wrote the script and then she would come in and like tweak it and put that Kelly Sue magic on it. So like that was a totally different experience um, for Uncanny because it was more of a, you know, unlike A-Force and Captain Marvel, where I was definitely in the sort of minor position, right? I was the one who was learning. I was not the name. But in Uncanny, it was more equal. Um, and so that's sort of how we approached. It. And there was discussion up front about how we should do it. And in the end, we thought that the really our style that we were 
strong enough writers that we thought we could fit it together like a puzzle piece and we could each take part of each issue so that it was very even for everyone and everything was broken up fairly. So it ended up being, I mean, the first issue was 60 pages. So we each basically got to write 20 pages. And then uh, the last issue was 30 pages. So we got to each write 10. But then for the other bits, um, it was, you know, an uneven break. It was like, what, 766. And so, or 776? 776, that's it. So whoever was doing the six would also do the outline for that issue. Mm. And then we would just sort of break it up. And I, I think we found that it broke pretty naturally. Like the, the whole seven, seven, six thing, like there were a few times it didn't, but for the most part it broke into sections pretty organically. Um, and then we would just pick which one we each wanted to do. And sometimes we agreed we were usually pretty nice about it, even when we didn't agree. <laughs> so yeah, it was very equal, and I think it worked out for the most part. I mean, I feel like we were pretty successful. Whether you like the book or not, I feel like we were pretty successful in merging our voices, if only because I, people were playing a lot of games trying to guess which writer. And even people who, like, follow my Tumblr really closely and read a lot of my books, and seem, they often got it wrong. And so I feel like that was sort of a success. They'd be like, oh, I think you wrote this section. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> well, the, so, the biggest praise that I could give is that Brooks is – a, a, lo- a longer reader than, than I have ever been. He's big X-Men. Um, I typically don't read a lot of the, the main bigger characters and, you know, the, the bigger books that involve a lot of people or, or like the big Marvel thing going at the time. And I read all yeah. of Uncanny X-Men. So <laughs> if that's, yeah. that, 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 it might have taken me a little bit, but I, I did read it all. Whereas before I might read an issue or two to appease Brooks here, but. Uh, I didn't make it through. So that speaks a lot. Well, if you can take it that way, that's please. That's great. That's great. I'm so glad. It makes me really happy to hear that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's one other thing too, that, that Brooks and I both love um, about the, the current Jessica Jones run that, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on, on how the idea came to be. Uh, and that's the sort of the release schedule around it. So we joke, um, you know, the show's called too many comics as we joke that there's just a lot of, material and books in a good way in that there's something for everyone uh, in a bad way. Yeah. It's, it's often hard to, you know, if you try to read a lot to keep up with stories. Really um, overwhelming. Yeah. But we love the, the sort of two issue at a time digital first, you know, bang out three, three, you know, large plus sized issues and then stop for a little bit. So you kind of get the full story, take it in. It's a, it's a long read. You're not reading one issue and waiting another month. So, you know, I'm interested in, how that conversation came to be of releasing it like that? And, and have you seen success from it? Yeah, um, success, no. But yeah. <laughs> um, I, think, I think, you know, anytime you're trying something new, I mean, like the first guy through the wall always gets bloody, right? So mm. I knew it probably wouldn't work. And it didn't help that after the initial push, um, Marvel sort of vanished on the promotion side. Mm. Um, I mean, to the point that we weren't even getting um, we weren't even getting previews, which is like the bare minimum you get of promotion Um, and previews weren't going up at comic sites. And it was really hard for people to remember it was out there. And like, you know, we weren't even getting a single review sometimes on issues. And I think it was definitely Mm -hmm. we noticed that. Yeah, we looked for them. Yeah, no, it's um, and it really was painful for me because I think it's probably the best thing I've written in comics so far. So it's awesome. It was was hard to pour that much love into it and know that the people who were finding it loved it, but people were barely aware it existed. And and Maddie's work was so incredible that it just yeah, it's just painful. But and again, it's not a. I'm not criticizing them either. I mean, they run this huge thing with a million plates that they're spinning every week. I mean, you think it's overwhelming for us to be readers, you know, try being inside that machine. It's so hard to, you know, comics turn around so fast. There are so many things to remember. And I just think it was an example of, you know, the, the method is in place for the thing they're used to. Right. Mm, Right. it comes out once a month. Yep. That's, it's such and such a size, blah, 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 blah. And so when you throw a wrench in that and try and do something new, I mean, things get missed. So, you know, I don't think it was, there was nothing malicious about it. And I'm not angry at them. I just think we didn't quite have it. And, um, and I think, but to go back to pre it sort of being a failure, A, I don't think it was such a big failure that they're never going to 
try it again. I don't think it's waved them off of trying digital comics. I think Marvel very smartly understands that not all characters can justify in in, in a sales way, uh, you know, a big, long, ongoing book. And so I think they're very smart to keep looking for other ways to make sure they're getting great stories out there that maybe aren't the big Avengers book or the big, you know, Wolverine book or whatever. And I think they're going to keep trying. And I, I don't even think we failed. I just think there's hitches in it, right? Mm-hmm. But so- the idea was definitely to do, um, to to try to echo a little bit more the idea of like a binge watch season. That's, yeah. Yeah, That's- where we were getting a, giving people a lot more content for a reduced price, which I feel like gets missed a lot, was that, you know, instead of getting 20 pages for $4, you were getting 40 for $5. It's a huge discount, right? Mm-hmm. And... So in addition to giving people more and then giving it to them faster, giving them a whole arc over three months instead of an arc over six, you know, and then you have these little built in breaks, which we loved it. Maybe yeah, that, was, that, was, that was awesome. I thought that was great. Yeah. It's also, you know, part of the problem with this too is it's hard for me to even talk about it because I'm not aware of what our sales are because digital isn't something that gets tracked. I mean, I'm sure Marvel tracks it internally, but it's not numbers that they share even with me. So I have no idea. Like for well, most of the time that those issues were coming out, we were hitting the top 20 on Comixology when they would release. So that seems pretty good. But they obviously weren't doing well enough that Marvel was like, yep, let's keep doing these. So, I mean, that was it. 12 issues. That's what we got. Um, I mean, they also didn't promote the trade when it came out. Again, turning around, turning it around so fast, like it, I think it just got missed even by Marvel. You know, they like they're used to having a longer lead time for a trade. And so instead, it's all coming out like three or four weeks after the digital series finishes. It just didn't happen, you know, um, but I hope they keep trying. Well, if well, we can well, well, break from being sad about it and revert back to yeah. you thinking that it was your best work. Um, yeah, we we certainly talked about it every time that an issue came out here. We, we loved it. We, we obviously love this character. Mm. Ben, you know, Bendis's runs. The, the TV show has been great. Um, and this carried on so perfectly. And sometimes we even said that we liked it better. Um, if Bendis is listening from DC than, than his, than his <laughs> early, his earlier runs. I mean, we, we really love the book, so it's kind of heartbreaking to know that it's uh no more. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's possible to come back at some point if it like wins an award, hint, hint Eisner's or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or it sells really well in trade. Um, but I feel like the first one must not have done that well in trade or that would have or we would have gotten started on a third volume. So um, and I love the first volume. I think the second volume is even better. Um, is does that I feel like more people are talking about it this time, except for the initial launch. Um, I feel like more people have been talking about Purple Daughter, which sort of encourages me. But I don't know. It, it's it's really hard to say. Um I'm certainly open to doing more if they keep it. I mean, I have a lot of guilt, even though I know it's not my fault. Like I did everything I could for that book and I just really poured myself into it. But, you know, I have a lot of guilt over Brian handing me his baby and me only being able to take her 12 issues. Like it's. It was a great, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of my favorite things to read. Yeah. Uh, when I got, when it hit comicology and I, it's, you know, oftentimes don't read instantly, but. That's a instant download, oh, blow through two issues. Yeah, it, yeah, it yes. was awesome. Yeah, behind your back, we said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did bump it. It's nice to hear that you guys liked getting more content. Um, because I'm while I'm sure that everyone loved the lower price for more content, I did bump into a few people on YouTube maybe or in a review where they were like, oh, it's just so much content. And I was like, wow, is that a downside? Yeah, what? I mean, if it was a crappy book, maybe I'd hate reading more of it, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, it was definitely on blind spot where I saw that comment, which maybe was still people getting used to the format. And blind spot was also more dialogue and caption heavy than, than purple daughter, which was a bit of a quieter book, but um, yeah, I don't know. So it's good to hear that you guys like the more pages. I mean, I like more pages too. I think, yeah. Something I would have been interested in doing, but which we didn't do for internal reasons, was it would have been nice to have the flexibility to not have to stick to the 20-page sort of chapter breaks. Mm. Um, 
And then that way you can be more flexible with sort of the rise and fall of the action for a 40 page story than you do for a 20 page story or two 20 page stories sandwiched together. But I think because Marvel was trying to be really flexible with how they might market it or promote it or release it, they wanted to keep those sort of chapter breaks even for the second volume. And so so we did it and it was fine. But when I look at it as a writer, I'm like, eh, it would have been nice to have that flexibility to change the narrative a little bit within that 40 pages because you know people are getting it all in one big piece. You yeah. Know? So, but it worked out well enough. I mean, I'm very trained at this point to write rising and falling 20 page. <laughs> so it maybe would have been careful what I wish for scenario where I would have been like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do with these 40 pages. Um, that would lead me into, and we, so we sort of touched on this a little bit with the, the diversity talk beforehand, but more, more just singularly focused on, on women in comics nowadays. Um, you know, I'm raising a daughter now. My brother has a daughter. They're both going to grow up in sort of this nerd culture by virtue of us putting this stuff on them. And then just, you know, me and myself noticing now, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you and, you know, starstruck and doing it, no matter how not famous you don't think you are. Um, and, you know, the likes of, you know, we love rainbows, runaways, uh, you mentioned Joella Wilson, you know, people like Kelly Sue and Gail Simone, and then all these, the, the female characters now that, you know, you, you see Captain Marvel on the big screen, the awesome books, the great stuff that you've done with Kate and Jessica. How much has that changed from when, when you were coming up reading books and just sort of is, I mean, I wasn't reading books for, for this long, so I don't, I don't, to me, it's kind of just like these characters have always been there. These are the people that have always been writing, but I imagine there was a time when the, think- the, the women weren't represented. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I think because it's really easy when you're inside it to forget how far you've come. And the one of the nice things about me is that because I, or being in my position rather, is that because I sort of was breaking in to writing for comics when I, by writing about them, I wrote an op-ed called She Has No Head. I also wrote a lot of reviews for CBR and um, Lit Reactor and Publishers Weekly and stuff. So um, I was very, for years, I was very like aware of the industry and what was coming out in the industry and paying attention to how, especially She Has No Head, was focused on women in comics. So I was very scope locked on what was going on with women in comics. And it's a completely different landscape now than it was. When I started doing that was in... I think it was either, I think it was 2009 was the first She Has No Head. So I did it for like three or four years. I think I stopped around 2014. And it's, there was a point there where it was really hard for me to find something to write about that week because there's not a solo headlining female book to even talk about, like on the podcast or on the, on the column. They just didn't exist. And like, there were, there are points where I wrote columns about like, oh, look, hey, now they've got these, you know, these three female headlining books out. And isn't that great? And it's like now you sort of can't throw a rock without hitting a female headlining book. And that I don't think that means we've gone too far, especially because comics last as long as they do as they used to. Right. You know, shorter runs is sort of the way of the day. Um, I think it just really speaks to the interest people have in these characters and like the willingness of the companies to sort of push on that and explore these characters that maybe haven't been. And, and, you know, some of that I think is, um, you know, you get a breakout like Ms. Marvel, um, that sort of everything goes right. And then that character just catches fire and then it transcends just comics and it becomes bigger than that. And, uh, it means a lot. And I think it reminds companies that that's possible and that you sometimes have to fail like a thousand times before you hit that one, you know, mm-hmm. and you got to then go back to the drawing board and fail a thousand more times before you get the next one, you know, because it's a really magical sort of formula. But so speak. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. All that, I would just say, I would just say that with all the frustrating stuff that you see, especially with gender, but with diversity in general, it's easy to forget that even just five years ago, it was a really different landscape. Mm-hmm. So, Speaking of Captain Marvel, do you have any in-game predictions? And what were your thoughts on the film? Captain Marvel, that is. The Captain Marvel film? I really liked it. I um, An origin story, especially at this point, is not my favorite story. Um, yeah. 
you know, I mean, except for Iron Man, um, and I like Thor pretty well because it does a pretty good job with the fish out of water thing. And also Chris Hemsworth, you know, could he be more charming? Like, (laughs) 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 Um, so, but like, I'm solidly in the camp of like, I don't like the first Captain America film, both because it's an origin story and because the whole skinny Steve CGI freaks me out. And because it just feels like two different movies, like feels like it was supposed to be two different movies. Like here's one where that's about him and his origin story and here's this back half where he's you know we're seeing him as the super soldier and uh you know i really so origin story is tough for me at this point and i thought there was no way they could get around it and so given that they had to do it they did a really great job i thought you know i mean when i look at that film and when i think about the stuff that i love about it i mean the the greatest moment for me for sure other than uh, uh, goose stuff, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, when she really comes into her own in that third act when she yeah. sort of shakes off those shackles. Like, I got chills. And I, you know, and so there's part of you as a viewer who wants to go, Yeah, but why didn't I just get more of that? Like, I wanted those chills, you know, 10 minutes in or 20 minutes in instead of having to wait until that mark. And I mean, the, 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 the unfortunate answer is because the narrative means something like we had to earn it you know we're doing an origin story so we have to earn that moment so you know yes i'd like candy all the time but you know sometimes you have to eat your vegetables so that you appreciate the candy right (laughs) well yeah but i think point if you are i mean we're all three of us me included are that much more into this culture so like i don't need the i don't need the 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 narrative the, the origin story right so yeah. I realized these are designed for the populace, but I kind of feel like, screw these people. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't see your punching plane. Um, but I, so I thought Brie did an incredible job. I thought she and Samuel L. Jackson together were really great. Um, I loved sort of uh, seeing Monica and her mother and those sort of relationships. It, like it felt like so it felt so designed for women, yeah. but not in a, not in a niche way and not in a condescending way, just in a way of like, we don't get to see enough of women's stories and like, here they are and we're proud of it and we're embracing it and let's go, you know? Yeah. Well, okay. So I did say on this show about that whole scene where the daughter encourages the mom to go up on this mission. And I thought that was irresponsible because that could be, <laughs> that could be a suicide <laughs> mission. You're a single mom, but you know, I, I get it. it it's, it's designed to evoke, feelings in people right to your point but i i was worried for the mom and the daughter at that point (laughs) i'm sorry but i mean i think there's no way out of that scenario because you can't especially when you're dealing with a young girl of color it's so important that she doesn't just see captain marvel as her hero she sees her mom as her hero and so you have to have it like it has to I get it. It's irresponsible. I think Batman is irresponsible to have young Robins, but like you we yeah. need it, right? That's a good point, actually. Okay, so it's good to have writers on the show. <laughs> More convinced until now. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. So you, you promised us an hour and we're creeping up on that. So we're gonna pivot towards uh our third act, which is a series of just rapid fire quick questions that are designed for first thing that comes to your mind, no wrong answer, um, and just kind of see how how you think. Are you ready? Uh, sounds like a trap, but yes, yeah, there are, there are no traps. This is this is <laughs> neutral ground here. Oh, what is the first comic book you ever read? Sort of a trick question. It's it, if you're talking floppy, it's Uncanny X Men two ninety with Storm on the cover. Which one is that one? I read Archie Digests before that. Which, is that like a like a grocery store purchase? Yes, yes <laughs> exactly. They were definitely my entry to comics, and I I often tell my own origin story acting like uncanny x-men 290 is my first comic because that marked a huge shift in my life towards comics but the truth is those archies were there when my brain was young and soft and developing and it made me into a comic fan without even really realizing it and it gave me all the tools to know how sequential stories worked and all of that you know those building blocks and I think it's more and more important as I get older because I see that if you don't introduce kids to that early on, 
the art of comics, like it's very easy for them to pick up on that and understand it. And for adults, even teens, like there are people who are particularly susceptible to it, like me, who really respond to it. And they're like, oh my God, I love this. Those people are always going to exist. But I just feel like you get diminishing returns on someone sort of understanding and appreciating the form on site the older they get. So the digest thing is important because it, it made a big difference, I think, to priming me to read X-Men 2, 290 when I was 15 or whatever it was and just falling head over heels in love with it, you know, and being like, what is this magic? That's a Will's Portacio, I want to say. Yeah. the cover of that one. Okay. What is the last comic book that is? Um, I think it was an issue of Skybound or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Avengers or X-Men? Oh man. <laughs> uh, it's, it's X-Men, but yes, I really love the Avengers these days. They have really, it's amazing what they've done to, to someone who at 15 was not interested in the Avengers at all. I fucking love them now. So yeah, so yeah. I'm the Hemsworth, am I right? Yes, that too. <laughs> Could he be any more charming? <laughs> Guardians or Avengers? Ugh, Avengers. Okay, so see, they, they came in second. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, favorite. And are <laughs> only three or? <laughs> <laughs> so favorite and least favorite thing about the West Coast? Least favorite thing is so they don't have any water. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite thing is, I don't know, Californians, if we're talking California, I don't know, they're just really laid back, cool people. They're genuinely nice and friendly and sort of open, Um, you know, maybe less so if you're in like the viper's nest of Los Angeles, where everybody's like trying to get something. But I I love the people out there and the the vibe is like very cool. Okay. Favorite movie adapted from a comic? I mean... I think probably I gotta go with um, Winter Soldier. Yes, nice. <laughs> yes, very nice. We would have accepted Howard the Duck, but this is good too. No, I'm not really a Lord Thompson fan, but anyway, go ahead. Winter Soldier is our favorite MCU movie. Nice. Yeah, I, I, it's mine as well. Uh, Thor Ragnarok is number two, though. So that was that I, was I, also I, a good time. Yes, that's good. Uh, <laughs> f- favorite comic adapted from favorite comic. Adapted from, do I even know any of those? I mean, I knew TV shows when I wrote this question. That was there was some, it's okay. gotta be one. Okay, okay. So that's, that was a gotcha question. Well, that's hard. Um, I mean, I really liked Umbrella Academy. Oof. So I, I feel like, I feel like saying that because, but A, I feel like I'm saying it just because I just watched it. And B, it feels like a cheat because I haven't really read Umbrella Academy. Like I've read an issue or two, but I haven't read the whole thing. So that feels like a cheat. Um, they did a good job, though. They, yeah. I, I read it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Can if I ask work- you a question? I know this goes against the format, but can I ask a question? About sure. Academy? So the thing that the only thing that I really didn't like was a thing that I think is very specific to being a comic fan, which is that I was very frustrated that Vanya's eventual, obvious eventual hey, I'm the most powerful one here. Like, they just teased that out so long. And so I was wondering, was that a thing in the comics that was like that? Or did they do that for the show? I believe it was teased out. That that first run was Brooks, if I'm remembering correctly. And I just read it before the show came out, so I should remember. Um, it was six issues. I think you don't uncover yeah. Vanya being powerful until late, just like the show as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not... It's not I mean, it's, it's shorter than whatever eight or 10 episodes of a TV show are feels like shorter. Well, and also, I mean, it, it, like the walking dead, and I don't want to touch that too much. They definitely do their own, their own version of it. It's, it's, it's not note for note. And I hate right. to make, it's, it's not, it's not a pun for the violin thing. Sorry, right. but they, they, they do their own thing. So yes and no. So I guess my, that was, that was sort of my one complaint. And I was like, I don't know if it's in the original material or not. I'm curious. I was like, but I do think this is, I mean, I sometimes have trouble negotiating whether I'm particularly hard on something or susceptible to something because not only do I live and breathe comics narrative, but it's literally my job to make and break these stories every day. It's all I think about. So I try to remember that when something's letting me down and I'm like, you know, I'm a quote unquote more savvy viewer than, you know, person X, Y, and Z. Um, 
But I was just like, it seemed so obvious that that's where we were going. And I'm like, is that just <laughs> so familiar with the concept here? Or so is that a, a, thank, a thank you to Wikipedia. She reveals that she is the most powerful in issue four of six. So see, that's still shorter because it was really like the last two episodes. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Did play it out a little longer. Yeah, they played it out too long, I think. But that's a, but that's another thing, too, where you forget that we're so media-soaked now in, in – or we're so comic-soaked in media that a lot of that stuff that five or ten years ago would have aged a little differently, like, people are on to the tricks now, right? Like, mm-hmm. superheroes are so much a part of our culture now that I feel like you can see that turn coming even for – the average Joe who is not, you know, writing comics every day. Right. Anyway, yeah. it's a good show. It was a very good show. I was very impressed. I liked the casting. I liked the effects were really good. It was good. I'm glad it's coming back too, because that was a killer ending. Definitely. Well, now I'm lost in the interview. Just <laughs> <laughs> you broke the machine. <laughs> if you were not writing comic books, what would you be doing? Um, I hope I'd be writing TV and film or novels. So I hope I'd still be writing. Um, I don't really know anything else to do. I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> well, thank God you're successful at this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, aside from Rogue and Gambit, favorite comic couple? I mean, Jessica and Luke. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Fair we probably should have said aside from that as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. aside, <laughs> aside from your stuff. <laughs> I, can go, I can go deeper. Let's hear it. Um, maybe. Um, Willis and Clark. No, I do like Batman Catwoman, though. Yeah, that was a robbery, that whole wedding thing. I'm still not over it. Well, here's the thing. And I'm I'm messing with <laughs> Matt again here. I understand why people feel that way. And I think it's legit. And I think on some level, Tom King probably even wants you to feel that way because he wants you to want them to get together. That Tom King. But reading that story, like it was def- he was definitely showing his hand that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so- he sucks. He sucks. Just kidding. I, I met him. He's very, he's very nice, actually. I met him in person. He's amazing. He's amazing. Anyway. Okay. All right. So Kelly Taylor from 90210, Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. Which one? Uh, Kelly Taylor. Good pick. And finally, really two. Maybe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm floored right now. You're supposed to say no. <laughs> Their market is so saturated. I feel like. You know, it's this, it's this catch-22, right? Of Like, it's great that there's so many books out there because it helps us build this all these different ideas and this really people can find something for everyone who's interested in anything. And I love that about it. But at the same time, there are so many fucking books out there that it makes it really hard for books to survive. Like, if you have to buy five Spider-Mans a month, maybe yeah. have room for cough west coast avengers cough um (laughs) and and so then west coast avengers only makes it 10 issues and and maybe that's just not how it works out but it's how it feels sometimes and so that makes you sometimes feel like maybe it's a little maybe we should be a little more careful about i i also think you know image is sort of incredibly saturating the market with these amazing creator-owned properties and i'm excited about that i love that shit but it I don't think DC and Marvel didn't look at that and go, yeah, they're taking some of our money. So maybe we should do, you know, a couple less issues a month. No, they just like, we just keep doing what we do. And there's just less money to go around for everyone. You know, Yeah, that's actually a good point. I was telling a buddy of mine who has no idea how this works. uh, I said, we're going to be talking to you. And he goes, what does she write? And I said, Jessica Jones. And he goes, well, is there just one Jessica Jones book or is there like seven or eight? I was like, good <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah. There is just one. So, yeah. yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. So anything I, you I, want to any, – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. Oh, I was going to say anything you want to tease out before we, we – let you gave us an hour and we're four minutes away. Anything you want to let well, us know? That's... Before I do that, I want to say uh, I always think of Spider-Man, which is that I did not start reading Spider-Man until very late in life, like – since I started working at Marvel and my whole life, the reason for that was I didn't really know if I'd like the character or not. And the reason I didn't know if I'd like the character or not is because there were so many goddamn Spider-Man books. Yep. I didn't know what to read. I didn't understand how they connect. And this was like, you know, it's one thing when this is true, when you're a teenager and you're like, I only have X amount of pocket money and there's, 
you know, 10 of these Spider-Man books every month. I don't know which or which, and I'm having trouble keeping track. And hey, the internet doesn't really exist yet, so I can't find out. But honestly, even now, like it's a little easier for me now that I work for Marvel, but even as an adult with the internet functioning, it became such a hard thing to know, like, and where should I start? Mm-hmm. You know, and now we've got this new problem that we've created, which is the number ones, which started out as this great thing where it was like, oh, that'll be really accessible to people. But I, I think if there's anything more inaccessible than, oh, hey, you should pick up issue 305 of a comic, it's, hey, Go to the bookstore. You'll have no idea which number one you should buy. I hate the number one thing. I hate it. Oh, I'm sorry. My oh. first book. My my first book was Uncanny X Men 268, and I was okay with it. I dove right in. Yeah. Wow. Right before one of my favorite comics of all time. So it's like I knew. Nine. When I, was, when, I, when, I, when I was in sixth grade, I knew what was up. Yeah. 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 It's tricky. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I feel like the companies get really blasted for that, especially Marvel. Um, for the number ones, but you know, they're just trying to respond to the marketplace and then people buy the number one. So like, what are they supposed to do? Like we complain about it all the time, but then that's what people buy because they like want to test it out. And they're like, Oh, let me see what this thing is. If I'm interested in this thing. And then some people are, but not enough people. And so you only get a 10 issue run and then, you know, and then someone starts over somewhere. It's, it's a really tough cycle, man. And all I can say is that I know a lot of people get mad about it. But every single person I've met uh, since I started working for Marvel, and I'm sure it's true, it's it's really true before I started working for Marvel, every single person I've met in comics is really just trying to make great comics and bring them to people and, like, do a good job. Like, it's such an, honestly, almost like a naive, optimistic, hopeful industry of, like, yay, comics! And it sort of breaks my heart that we get assigned... That, that, that people sort of get assigned like ill intent, you know, I'm, I'm not saying companies are completely blameless or whatever. They're obviously not. But um, when you're talking about something like number ones, it's like all they want to do is bring you good comics, you know. And yeah, they want to they want to make money while they do it so they can keep making more comics. Like it's not a it's not like some dark conspiracy. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it is. The Illuminati's in charge. <laughs> I'm not allowed into that secret room. They're like, Kelly is too honest on podcasts. She can't come in. So <laughs> so uh, is there anything we should know that's coming down the pike for me? Anything you want to tease? Anything that, that, that we should know that's happening? And then no, I'm, I'm still doing Sabrina for um, Archie, which is super fun. We've got issue two coming out later this month, I guess. Um, Mr. and Mrs. X comes out next week, or well, I don't know when this is going out, but I think it goes out the 24th. Um, Captain Marvel might be the same day, Captain Marvel 5, I can't remember. Um, and then I have a thing that's coming up that's not announced yet that I can't talk about, so. Well, what is it? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I may have found a way to bring Jeff the Land Shark into it, so that's... Ooh. <laughs> Well, Kelly, thank you so much. Just from what you just said, you sound incredibly busy. Uh, and But we really wanted to talk to you, and this has been awesome. We will stop um, pestering you on Twitter. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> except, except to say thanks, probably today. <laughs> thank you so much. Let me know when it goes up, and I'll uh, make sure to you know reblog and whatever. Cool. Great. That'd be awesome. All right. Take care, guys. Thank thanks. You. Bye. Hey, bye.